This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, welcome everyone. Carm Capriato to another Aftermarket Weekly, Week 165. I'm with Dave Hobb, Senior Tech Trainer, Delphi Technologies. Hello, Dave. Good morning, afternoon, whatever time we're broadcasting this out there to the technicians and like-minded people for pair shop owners, you name it. <laughs> Sounds like you've done podcasts before. I'm sh- I know you have. I know you have. Yeah. Hey, uh, we're coming to you live and on tape, possibly, from the Dorman OE Fix Studios. And so glad to have you here. Dorman Products creates hundreds of new automotive replacement products every month. Part of what makes Dorman so unique is their ideation of new and innovative products. They have dedicated teams all across the U.S., Mexico, and Canada looking for new product ideas. Since every solution starts with a problem, these teams of researchers, field analysts, product specialists, and contributors consistently visit repair shops and make field calls. Now, this is to best understand the problems the industry is facing. In certain cases, Dorman will manufacture aftermarket replacements so you aren't forced to go back to the OE. Other times, experts take it an additional step, further solving what made the original part problematic in the first place. Solving for a problem is what powers the innovation engine at Dorman. Dorman Products has become an incredible engine for innovation. They are constantly bringing new replacement parts to the automotive industry, and they routinely release tens of thousands of parts across all different categories. Now, why do they do all of this? To enable technicians the freedom to fix their customers' cars and trucks. To do this, Dorman has dedicated teams focused on different aspects of the vehicle to ensure that they are meeting the needs of the aftermarket. Although a lot of their parts are reverse engineering of original equipment, they also redesign and redefine solutions such as their loaded knuckles or programmable electronic power steering rack. Dorman has invested in these OE Fix innovations to help you save time, your customer money, and prevent vehicles from coming back to your shop. In certain cases, Dorman will manufacture aftermarket replacements so you aren't forced to go back to the OE. Hey, want to know more about Dorman? Visit dormanproducts.com forward slash tour. Karma, I got a comment on that, that sponsor ad there. Although in the parts world, we are just a tiny bit of a, in some areas with Delphi, a uh, friendly competitor. When it comes to training, all I can think of is G Trulia, <laughs> our mutual friend, and Pete Meyer now is on board with, and we get along fabulously. But the main thing is for techs, Gosh, if you can't relate to a hub bearing failure, I had a 2013 Malibu, drove it until the wheels fell off. Literally, got I would have kept it forever if it hadn't been T-boned and we had to replace the car. But I put a hub bearing on, and these the original ones went bad eventually. And I had one that was, uh, I forget where I got it. I won't name the brand, but I think it was OE possibly. And it went bad twice, and it might have been my technique. But it's a nasty, dirty job. But it's one thing that is simple and has not changed. Maybe improved like they talked about in that ad, but it's not changed. And tonight or today, this morning, we're going to talk about electrification changes. And it's crazy. I mean, a nut and bolt part, bolting on, it's almost therapeutic to technicians who don't like change. <laughs> I love it. Therapeutic. Something I can dig into and I don't have to be a rocket scientist, rack my brain to try to figure out what's changed about it. It's just a bearing. <laughs> Imagine laying down with your psychologist talking through the day, shaking like a leaf, and he says, go get your mechanic set when you were four years old and play with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's therapeutic. Yeah, go do some R&R, some simple mechanical thing. <laughs> Always great to have you, Dave. Uh, he's, he's a great friend of the show. Of course, Delphi Technology is a great also sponsor for uh, Remarkable Results Radio. And we're here to talk about prepping for the mysterious vehicles coming out, especially the electrified vehicles. Hey, let's jump in it. All right. Well, one thing that is going away and this is a, maybe frustration if you don't like change or maybe exciting if you like to learn. But these orange plugs, the covers off this one so you can see the big fuse. This, this is classic. This is Toyota, Prius, Camry, you name it. When they get to newer ones and older ones, oddly enough, these are smaller. But the idea is still the same. You kind of like unlatch it and you pull it out. And you're cutting the high voltage battery pack available voltage in half is what you do when you divide it like this. But there was a second thing that these things did, the larger ones. They had a smaller plug. You probably can see that close up in there, uh, right there, right where my finger is. That was a low voltage interlock, safety interlock. And that is the new way of disconnecting. Now, high voltage systems, whether you're going to put a new compressor on or, um, and it's various model to model. The BMW, Ford, they've moved this way pretty much completely. Stellantis is doing different things. The vehicle comes in the bay, you're going to do some electrical high voltage work. Not necessarily a battery pack. It could be just replacing a little electric high voltage heater or, like I said, an AC compressor. And you got to depower the vehicle, and that's a big change. So what techs, you know, if you've worked on that Prius, you've worked on that Ford Fusion Hybrid, you yeah, I've done Volkswagens, you know, over the years. I'm getting pretty good at this. And then wham, it's a complete new world. And that's what I want to talk about. I mean, I've come to a conclusion I'm an adrenaline junkie, and I love change. Although I gripe about it at first. Fan, you could ask my coworkers and my family. Oh, companies, you know, having changes and the industry, transportation's having changes. And I think I'm in good company when other techs go, why can't they just leave it alone? It works fine. You love change, but yet you complain and you bitch about it. Yeah. And so don't you realize that you're affecting the people around you, maybe giving them a bad karma? Oh, I am told by my wife regularly. All right. Don't be a Danny Downer. Okay. So. <laughs> I actually was kind of griping to a coworker of mine recently. And then I had to like text him and say, Hey, thanks for listening. I really am getting my head around this now, this new change of whatever your technology. And I see the bright side of it. And they're usually almost always very charitable. It's like no problem. That's what we're there for. We listen to each other's gripes about stuff we can't control. One of my favorite quotes from Charles Franklin Kettering, boss Kettering who started the Dayton Engineering Laboratory Company, D-E-L-C-O, which is what Delphi sprung from and a lot of other companies, Delco, Remy, and so forth. He said, the world hates change, but it's the only thing that leads to progress. Very simple, but very profound. You're an ACER, but yet you love change because... Deep down inside, Dave probably says or thinks, oh, I can't wait to figure this out. Yes, exactly. And that's the learning adrenaline rush that you get when you're in a classroom, you're in a bay. I was in a hotel room recently and I was reading a service manual online. I forget even what the application was. I think it might have been a Sienna 
minivan, reading up about it so I could scan it so I could prepare a class to teach. And I seen something with a different system and I go, holy cow, that is a complete departure from how it used to work. And I went, yes, because I had in my mind at that point, a grasp of that, that change and what that meant to diagnostic tech and so forth. And I couldn't wait to share that. Then I went and reread it and made sure I got it straight because sometimes we can be like that character in Saturday Night Live, the old classics, you know, Emily Natilla. Oh, never mind. <laughs> oh, right. Exactly right. When you travel, you go on the road and you teach, are you like working 16 hour days? Really common. Yeah. I remember you telling me once I go out and rent cars that I've never driven or had before so I can play with them. Yeah. I'm in one right now. I mean, it, we've got a training customer that's wanting some advice and some courses built and they have numerous vehicles. And so I'm trying to get all of the vehicles that they have that they're using and uh, it's a big fleet and figure out what the technician doesn't know can hurt them. And in electrification world, I don't mean that as a pun on, you know, high voltage and potential injury and or death, which this is, you know, very serious world when you're getting into high voltage. But I mean the failure of a correct diagnosis. That is very important. And so I try to figure out, okay, so is the service manual leading to some ambiguity? And I see that a lot. I just get engrossed in it and just sometimes have to be told my wife has to call me or text me and says, did you eat dinner yet? She's, you better do something because, you know, the restaurants don't stay open as late as they used to in the old days, yada, yada. And so I go, yeah, I'll go. And then I'll get engrossed again. And then she'll text me again. She knows me because she's concerned. I mean, obviously she's been successful. I do eat. Okay, <laughs> I'm not emaciated. I'm not wasting away. But the point is she looks after me because I sometimes get so engrossed in what I'm doing. Uh, and I've actually ran into an old, kind of like a, a mentor hero of mine back when I was pursuing a whole different career in the 80s. I was pursuing law enforcement. I was working for my dad in a repair shop. And I witnessed a couple of violent crimes, a, a property crime, a burglary. Actually, my home was broken into. And then I witnessed a violent crime and felt helpless, wanted to do something about it. So I started doing uh, reserve law enforcement, kind of like volunteer firefighter. I got into training and there was this guy from uh, your neck of the woods, I think I want to say New Hampshire, somewhere up in New England, Masad Ayub. He was a writer for a lot of gun magazines and police officer and so forth. And he's still kicking. I discovered him on YouTube <laughs> on some Wilson combat handgun channel, whatever. And he was answering questions. He's his usual deadpan voice, Mr. Authority, law enforcement, you know, firearms expert. And Somebody asks a question, what do you do for fun? And he gets into the camera like this and he goes, right, this right here. This is what I do for fun. He loves it. And I thought to myself, that's why I liked you in the 80s. Totally different you know, career paths. I gave up on it and followed the automotive harder. And he did that until he's, he's in his 70s now. And he's a subject matter expert and an expert in court cases and so forth. And definitely a champion firearms competitor. And people listen to him. And I thought, you're 70 some years old, 75, I think, somewhere around that vicinity. And he's still as enthusiastic and loves what he does as ever. And I go, I want that. I want to have that. Me too. I don't want to quit. Now, maybe Tracy has other plans for me. I don't know. <laughs> a thought about getting the cars and trying to always get it right. Are you tweaking your presentations like just the day before you go out? You may have given the presentation 10 times, but is it always something fresh and new? Oh, yes. I hate 
teaching the same exact way, same exact stories. I'll find some little video clipped in bed or something like that, or a scan tool, screen capture, sometimes a video of a scan tool, screen capture, and I'll put that in there or something funny. I want text to not be bored to death from PowerPoint. And that's a tricky thing to do. Kind of the reason I was needed a few more minutes, your behalf of patients to get online today for this podcast was working with a customer who wanting something that's the unknown. They want electrical hands-on classes in three cities. And we're not really sure exactly what they mean by electrical hands-on. So we're trying to, how many people, all these details and I kind of liked it. And, and one of my other instructors I talked to, and he's not a big change freak. One student's very secure, very stable, details in front. I kind of like the risk of going in and really not knowing what the expectations are and just working. If you know the topic, that's important. You can't wing it if you don't know the topic, but be able to be flexible and provide what the customer wants. But yeah, I'm always tweaking the day before, the day of. Hopefully, I remember to get to class on time. It's not because usually I'm stuck in traffic. It's like, oh my gosh, I got to get to the class. I got just enough time. You're a constant tweaker, right? Yeah, definitely. Perfectionist. It's a hereditary thing. My dad was the same way. And I think the most influential person in his life, my father's life, was his father-in-law because his dad had passed away at a younger age and wasn't a greatest role model. My grandfather, Robert Hobbs, but Pop Austin was my mother's dad. So it had been my dad's father-in-law. He was a do-it-yourselfer, a kind of a character, and a joker, and an electrician, a commercial electrician. I mean, industrial. He worked in a steel mill, and he knew how to wire anything from the, the high-voltage stuff to rewind alternators and starters. He, he taught my dad that, and that's how my dad started a business. So it runs in the family. We were perfectionists. Hey, Dave, when do you do your best work? Is it you know just before you're ready to go on? I would say I get the best ideas early in the morning when I start just a day, and then it just turns into bursts of research. And sometimes, you know, you get off on, you know, taking care of other business, administrative stuff and family stuff, you know how it is. One thing I wanted to bring up to technicians that are watching and shop owners, there's a big disconnect between what we think we know and what reality is on the vehicles. So the changes in electrification that are coming, besides the orange plug I talked about, I held up as a little prop, turning into a little green plug that doesn't really disconnect. It just extends. I don't even have one because I have to buy a whole harness. I found a dormant solution, (laughs) a sample plug. Hey, gee, if you're listening to this, make sure you get them to make one of those, at least for an instructor. Otherwise, we'll have to go to a boneyard and find a Mach-E or, I don't know, it's even on the Ford Escapes hybrids and plug-in hybrids. But the little green BMW, like I said, they're all using something different now. That little thing, it actually extends out. It doesn't disconnect. It's low voltage, so you don't have to put on the safety gloves. And then you verify that it is the system's dead. So you do a live dead, live test. It depends on the model. Always, I emphasize this all the time in my classes, always follow the manufacturer's instructions. I know that sometimes the flowcharts can be misleading, confusing, but you can bet your sweet bippies used to say on laughing <laughs> back in the days of dinosaurs, you can bet your sweet bippy that the OEMs have done their research on keeping you safe. So I've not found a safety procedure that OEM has provided in the service manual that had errors. 
they don't want that at all. I mean, if they have an error, a typo, it's some minor detail of some technical mumbo jumbo, I guess could lead to you misunderstanding how to do a diagnostic. But when it comes to safety, always follow the OEM, period. So you're saying it's sound and you can't get by diagnostics, any kind of work today without reading technical service. Oh my gosh. Read, 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 read. My dad used to read magazines, motor age, motor, you name it, whatever was out there at the kitchen table. They were in the bathroom at home and at the shop, everywhere there were magazines and he read, read, read. And now we're on our phones doing it. That's fine. It just, things change, procedures and processes change, but this concept of being well-read, I just discovered, and thanks to one of my instructor buddies, Jim Wilson, actually alerted me to something I had not been watching. I don't have the other version of this, but if you are a tech or a Tesla owner, you recognize that. That is the Tesla connection, the actual cord from a Tesla charger would plug into this. And then, so this is what it, the opposite gender, if you will, what it looks like on the vehicle. So it's a five pin. It's a remarkably consistent shape from Tesla to Tesla. This is everybody else. Now, there isn't one more standard out there, at least in North America, called CHATAMO. It's a crazy acronym, but it sounds like I just pronounced it CHATAMO. This is not CHATAMO. This is J1772. This is the plug I've been teaching about a lot lately, and this is everything except Tesla. Now, if it's an electric vehicle with no engine, you need to charge it faster. So there are two additional large prongs or pins, if you want it will, just underneath this. And they call that a CCS, combo charger plug. Those will not be on the plug-in hybrids because you have the engine. You don't need to charge it in less than an hour. need that ability. It's not available to it. So J1772 or CCS now is going to, with adapters, be available to plug into the Tesla network, according to Automotive News and other reliable sources. So if I hadn't had buddies watching out for me and going, hey, have you seen this? Just came out this week, this news. Yeah, I heard they talked about it. Well, they're really going to do it in like 2025. So the devil's in the details. I'm always talking about, well, what if you've got a level one or two charger? That's the 120 or the 240, not the fast charge which is at charging stations like Electrify America and ChargePoint and so forth. And now, so somehow, there's going to be a mix with the Tesla network for the non-Tesla vehicles, so the GM, the Fords, the BMWs, you name it. What if you have a level one charge cable and you don't know if it's working or if it's the wall plug? So I've been promoting, not taking the receptacle part, I get in trouble advising techs to do stuff like that because wink, wink, we all know the technicians are do-it-yourselfers. So like my grandpa or my dad, you know, it's like I get off work and I need to put in a new receptacle or a new switch in my house. The guy that does it or the gal that does it, although in some locales that might be against some regulation, safety, and it's not advisable to do as an instructor to teach people to <laughs> take off a wall socket, a cover, much less remove that little thing from the wall and put a new one in. But it's not any kind of a safety issue at all to take you, Karma, bet you have one of these. I do. Not a fancy one like this. This is like $25 instead of 15 <laughs> But it just plugs in and it tells you if you got an open ground or earth ground or an open or reverse, you know, neutral and hot, that kind of stuff. Because that can make the charge plugs, cables that the level one the car comes with either not work 
if it's, a, I would call it a good one, one that's got more safety to it. It says, I don't like this. I'm not going to work. Kind of like a GFI is not going to work if you plug it in to some power source that doesn't have a good earth ground. It's just going to click and not work. So a good charge cable will not work if this is not happy. And there are charge cables with adapters and so forth that will work. I know this for a fact that you probably don't want it to work if you got an open neutral. I've got one wall receptacle in my house right behind this desk that has an open neutral. And this caught it. And one of my charge cables, I plugged it in to see what would happen. I've got this little tester that I've got from a company that makes charge charge plugs, cables. And I plug this into that and it lights up and it's got a little pin out on it. And you can put your meter probes in here safely. And, you know, because technically that probably should be for an electrician if you're getting into liability cautions. But just for classroom demonstrations, I show what happens when you don't have the right wiring of a wall socket for a level one charger. And what technicians and shop owners don't know, extension cords. You can't use an extension cord. The owner's manuals and service manuals all tell you not to. Well, CARM, if that cable doesn't stretch from your garage that you can't park your car in because you got your Harley, your boat, and everything else in there, and you've got a plug-in hybrid or an even electric vehicle, which is going to take forever if you're trying to charge with this stuff, okay, 120. But it, it, can, it can be recharged. I charged a Tesla in my driveway. It took two or three days, but I charged it up with a 120-volt level one charger. My point is people are going to use extension cords. Even though they're told they're not supposed to, they're going to use them. I got one so hot, it started melting. So what we don't know as technicians and service advisors and shop owners about some of these details of what's coming down the road with this move towards the light duty market, at least electrification totally at some point in time, maybe not BEVs for a while, still going to be a lot of cars out of warranty. They got engines only, but there's going to be a lot more hybrids and a lot more plug-in hybrids. And all those parts, like in that ad from Norman, you know, with the wheel bearings and stuff like that, still going to be in your bay. They're going to be beat up even worse with electric vehicles because they're heavier. It's just known fact that the same size vehicle that's battery electric only, you would think would be lighter, right, Carm? Because it doesn't have an engine or like a transmission. It's the battery. But it's got the hip, the battery. Yeah, even lithium ion is the most densest, lightest battery chemistry out there. Those battery packs weigh a half a ton or more. Some of them do, like 1,000 pounds, 800 pounds, whatever. So special jacks to remove them from the vehicle, lifts, all that stuff. But the thing about it is all the other stuff is taking a beating in suspension, special tires, beefier suspensions. They're going to wear out quicker. There's a lot of the things that I did a dog and pony show. That's what I call them. One of my predecessors called it dog and pony show. You heard that term? Oh, I bet around the horn a little bit. Yeah, I heard it. The vehicle I had, I rented a Tesla and I've rented Mach-E's as well. And just take them into a trade show, raise the hood, maybe take a few beauty covers off so they could see what makes it tick. And technicians, shop owners, you name it. I did one recently for a trade group that had a couple of brands that all they did was maintenance, like oil changes and, and general maintenance, the quick maintenance places. And they wanted to know, what are we going to be working on in 10 years? There is no drain plug on that i3 or Mach-E or whatever <laughs> Tesla. 
In fact, one of the shops showed me a picture from one of his franchise, fellow franchisers that was changing oil. That was their main thing, changing oil. And it said, free oil changes this week for all Tesla owners. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of cute, kind of like get you to look at the sign anyways. But there's a lot of things you can do. There's a fallacy, Carm, that electric vehicles are maintenance-free. <laughs> They're not maintenance-free. They're less maintenance but when the maintenance creeps up, just like it did with OBD2, when OBD2 kind of covered over a lot of little errors with fuel and ignition and things by compensating. And finally, when that light came on, you had several things that you were looking in on because there was less maintenance. People thought they didn't need to bring their car in. And so that was kind of a side effect, a negative side effect of less maintenance was neglected build up amounts, vast amounts of maintenance. You have got me sitting here writing all these things I need to ask you. <laughs> like, what are you telling your students? What do you feel? What do you hear about the worry of fire? Would you put that Tesla historic in the garage if you could? What should we do at night? I was just this morning with a general manager of a seven-store chain who said to me, hybrids and EVs, we don't store them overnight in our place. What are you saying? That might be a little overkill. But here's the thing. I think overkill is better than complacency and being naive. When the vehicle is in repairs because of something wrong with it, not normal maintenance, it's got a problem, especially in the collision world. Somebody told me at a collision conference, forget who it was, that when the vehicle is in a collision, it's modified. I never thought of it that way. It's like it's been monkeyed with. It's been customized by the collision. It's all the safeties, you know, in the repair world. In order to get shocked, you know, this would have to go wrong and that would have to go wrong. And then you as a technician would have to be so, do something careless, yada, yada. In the collision industry world, it's already went wrong. It's been crashed. And so you don't know what the extent of the damage is, what has been sacrificed in the way of double, triple safety circuitry. And in the world of lithium-ion, that was usually is two or three things going wrong to lead to a thermal runaway. And a thermal runaway with a 12-volt battery usually meant, bang, it sounded like a shotgun, and it blew up, and a chunk of the battery case hopefully didn't hit anybody, and you can get an acid in your eyes. You probably got all over the full shop floor, and maybe your clothes. And you got to go do the safety, you know, wash and all that. We lived. We walked away. It didn't burn the shop down usually. Never heard of it doing that. But in an electric vehicle, it's got a lithium-ion battery pack, especially a large one. PHEV, plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, or battery electric vehicle, that's a bigger concern, not point of being paranoid about it. So if there's lights on, if the vehicle does not move, it came towed in, or it was in a collision, anything that would lead you to believe this is not the normal Tesla, not the normal Mach-E or whatever battery electric vehicle, then you would not want to store it inside. And it, there is a procedure, and I encourage people to look into Either the SAE version, which is way more in-depth. Uh, Dr. Mark Cordo runs that with some of his training, and it is more intensive hands-on. Or the, I would call it for everybody else uh, who's not deep into this, the ASE version, which just launched recently. I was blessed, honored to be on that team with some fellow heroes that know way more than me, like Professor John Kelly, for example, and, and many other OEM experts on the ASE safety certification committee. And there's two levels of that. 
I think you can go online and take it for, I don't know, 50 bucks or something. Don't quote me. Just visit Automotive Excellence, AES Wave, or not AES Wave, ASE, Automotive Service Excellence. Just visit the ASE website and uh, check it out. It is safety certification, not the L3 in Borsha to work with some. How new is that, Dave? That's like a month or two, maybe three months at the latest. That's been out this quarter of this year of 2023 so good to know yeah it's ase safety certification some of the tool manufacturers that are doing like interactive okay do this remove tab a from slot b kind of thing opus ivs comes to mind with their drive pro i found it out by accident i was teaching with jim wilson in kansas city we're teaching a hands-on hybrid electric vehicle class i got a ford fusion hybrid and he rented a a little Toyota Prius C. And so we're teaching techs hands-on. I don't know we had half a dozen or a dozen, a dozen guys and gals. And one of them went back to their shop and got on this tool. I didn't know this at the time because it came in through the supplier who contacted the trade organization who sponsored the class. So they were like a lot of translation loss there going on, but they wanted to know if certificate that Jim and I provided to Delphi was a safety certificate. And I go, it's a certificate of completion. It says you've completed successfully eight hours of hands-on diagnostic hybrid electrification, yada, yada. And of course, we always talk safety for at least an hour. The gloves and the proper care and what to do, not to do, and so forth. And follow the manufacturer's instructions on anything anything at all, especially safety. And then they wrote back and said, no, we need to benefit the certification. And I go, Where's this coming from? And I talked to the tech finally, and it's like, oh, he has a tool. And I researched the tool, and you get to a certain point using the tool, and it says, upload your safety certification. No. I found out they had coupled with uh, CTI, a very good organization, and many friends there had an online LMS you could take. I think it was, you know, minimal cost. So I changed my certificate, printed certificate, to say diagnostics and safety, eight-hour, you know, hands-on. And the guy uploaded it and somebody at this IVS looked at it and said, oh yeah, the Delphi people, it must, I am assuming this is what happened. They're subject matter experts. They know what they're doing. And so they said, all right, you can get to the next step in the tool. We're contemplating possibly doing that as a prerequisite to buy some of our parts. We had inverters and converters and stuff to you know, see if they would sell. You know, there's not a huge market, not like a spark plug or a fuel pump or wipers. Like, hey, how many inverters you got in the back or battery packs? But we thought about it. And somebody said, should we require a safety certification or a test? Kind of like a 609, you know, to get your EPA 609 to buy a 30-pound can of, you know, 134A. And I said, do you want to be the first one to do it? (laughs) I kind of talked them out of it. Well, you just brought up a can of worms. Do me a favor. All those people that were in this meeting at Delphi Technologies, bring them on the air. Bring them on with me. Let's talk about it. They'd be chickens. <laughs> I know they would because there's, there's a lot of things going on out there. MAP, minimum advertised price and all registration certification. But Dave, if we don't start talking about it, we could have a runaway train. Yeah, it is a slippery slope. I think it's a great idea to require that people know what they're doing. I think if I'm not mistaken, Tesla may have kind of been slow to bring their service manual and most importantly, their diagnostic suite, the Tesla toolbox, they call it, for use your laptop and a special connector to do diagnostics on Teslas because they were concerned and we all are concerned that that 'er ne'er-do-well that watches YouTube and I'm a mechanic, I got a scanner, I'm going to fix my own electric vehicle or hybrid or plug-in and getting hurt. 
And nobody that builds a car, nobody builds a car part, nobody builds a tool wants to see anybody get hurt. I mean, it's just, it's not funny. It's not fun. It can be my buddy, ah, gosh, Martin, that wrote a book on safety. I thought this has got to be the most boring book in the world. And I read it. Tony Martin, originally from Alaska. I think he still lives in Alaska. But anyways, Tony and I have been friends for years. He's an educator and he worked in a a gold mine as safety and technology trainer. This is an open pit, huge Fort Knox gold mine, the name of the company. Big, huge in Alaska, Fairbanks, I think, gold mine. And there's a lot of accidents that can happen in an industrial scenario like a big open pit mine. And when I read his book, I realized we're kind of blowing this off. We as an industry, my fellow adrenaline junkies that like motorsports and hunting and ice fishing and all these things that could be risky if you don't know what you're doing. We don't, I don't think we take safety seriously enough. There's a, a phrase I'm going to quote from his Tony Martin's book called the fallacy of you can't fix stupid. That phrase, well, you can't fix stupid. That's really a cover up for you give up on people that do dumb things. We all do dumb things. And you have to fix that because if it's a minor thing, like I smashed my thumb in a car door, Carm, during COVID, I was working on a car in my driveway and I got in a hurry and it was just a, you know, I did this as a kid, you know, we all smashed our, our finger in a car door. It squished it like a grape. And I was more upset with where I was going to have to go and mess with the whole COVID BS of getting, you know, my finger stitched up than I was the finger, but now I can't feel anything with it. So when I try to use my phone with my left thumb, it's a challenge because I don't have the thermal coupling, yada, yada. So imagine that with you're out of work for six months, what your family goes through. They're providing for, you're providing for them. What about all the other ancillary costs of, you know, your medical bills and so forth? It is unbelievable the chain effect of one minor accident on the job, whether it be electrical burn or electrocution and all the grisly stuff that ensues with that, with high voltage, DC or AC. So anything over 30 volts AC, anything over 60 volts DC, OSHA just says we'll split the difference and say 50 volts. The systems are radically more complex. You don't see a common chassis ground with 48, with, you do with 48 volts, you do with 12 volts. You don't see a common chassis ground with these orange cables. The negative does not go to ground. All these things add to cost it's because of safety, double, triple, quadruple. We hope it's idiot proof, so to speak. And I used to say when we do our hybrid classes back in the 200 and some volt days of Priuses, it's like, hey, no one's been injured or killed to my knowledge and probably won't happen. If it does happen, it'll be in a, you know, a taxi maintenance garage or someplace like that where loosey goosey with a lot of procedures. I don't even joke around a little bit like that. I don't take it lightly. I don't say this is a don't touch the orange cable class, but I do say we're going to spend significant time on it. Just like if you were in the military learning to operate a piece of heavy equipment or a gun or a cannon, whatever, rifle, you got to do the safety. And then we go on to the other things. The other things that are radically changing. I call it the, what are you going to work on? What's coming in the bay? It's not your pop's Prius anymore. It's my favorite slogan because not your father's Oldsmobile. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was an 88 Olds Cutlass Supreme. <laughs> it was front wheel drive. I was working on the hotline in the engineering garage because like, the techs were struggling with the 3.1 or the 2.8 when it first came out. 
And I remember that was a radically high-tech car. Well, this isn't your pop's Prius anymore either when it comes to a high-voltage Ford, BMW. I mean, even the newer Toyotas are radically different. So it is becoming different. What starts the engine, for example, if it's a PEV, plug-in hyperelectric vehicle, or hybrid? Used to be, well, always a 12-volt starter. Click, 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 click. You know, if you have a starting issue, cranking issue. And then it changed, and we all knew that. We've all kind of got up to that. Most of us that are dedicated to learning the electrification of newer cars. However, now we have hidden, kind of behind covers where it's really hard to even see, belt-driven, low-voltage belt alternator starters. And low-voltage could be 12 or 48. Then we have electric motors inside the transmission. Visit Borg Warner's homepage, just borgwarner.com. Do a little perusing in there. They've got some great illustrations because they were a transmission company before they were electrification, you know, provider of electric motors and so forth, like the motors for the Mach-E. And they had what's called P2 and P0. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, I'm never going to see that. That must be like an internal designation. It's in the Stellantis. It's in like, if you look up a Jeep 4xE, this uses a P2, yada, yada. And so what that is, is an electric motor inside the engine, not inside the engine, but bolted up to the engine, kind of hidden, is an electric, just to start the engine, is an electric motor, like a traditional motor generator, right next to the back of the output of the engine, or MG1, MG2, as you, my fellow techs that know the Toyota world and so forth, and the Ford world, or is it a double clutch system? where we have another electric motor that's got to be clutched up to the engine in order for the engine to start. I mean, it's all over the place. So what's actually going to start that gas engine? Because gas engine is going to be around for a long time. And there's going to be a lot of hybrids and a lot more plug-in hybrids until they're all, at some point in time, they predict, according to regulations, you know, with the powers to be total electric. But until that all occurs and out of the bays, like, when was the last time you saw a carburetor? I don't know. When's the last time you saw an engine? That kind of thing. That's decades away. Until then, it's going to be a mix of, oh, geez, I thought I knew hybrids. I guess I don't. I have to study and find out what makes this thing start. If it's got an engine, what makes it charge? It traditionally is always a DC to DC converter. But when you say charge, how about charging the battery pack? If you're charging the battery pack with this guy, beyond the stories of EVSV, electric vehicle supply equipment, and the plug and what it plugs into, or, you know, hardwired to a 240 50-amp jack, you know, going to your breaker box in your house or your shop, you're going to need a charge cable. But also, on the vehicle, what charges the 12-volt battery when you're not running, when you're plugged in charging the big battery in a PHEV or a BEV, what charges the big battery? What charges the 12-volt battery? That varies from model to model. So I'm on a learning curve, and I love it, Carm. And then I go, and then I start apologizing to techs going, you're not going to like this if you don't love learning. If you don't love new stuff and learning, it's going to be a real hassle. It's going to be real scary because you're going to really start to realize you don't even know what you don't know yet. What you just have said in the last 15 minutes almost serves up guaranteed job if you stay a perpetual student and learn this system does it like this this is a motor over here this charges this so there's so much to learn to become here we are talking about specialization in our industry do we have a euro guy do we have a euro shop 
And when we start moving into the world of EVs, the diagnostician who is so good on ICE vehicles and the CAN buses and all those networks there, whoop, let's go over here to EVs. You're almost going to have to be have a computer hooked to your brain in order to oh my gosh know it to figure it out to even if you're a dealer tech, it's like okay, I sell uh, my my company sells Jeeps and Chryslers. There's three or four different ones that have come out just in the last two or three years. The Pacifica plug-in is radically different, even though they use the same engine and the same motor generator in the transaxle, as far as powering down than a Jeep 4xE. And that's different from the 48-volt e-torque, which is used some of the Jeeps and the uh, Rams. I got to have you back because you have another five hours to discuss with me. <laughs> we'll have you on for a part two here soon. I put a quarter, like a jukebox, I put in a quarter, and I'm looking for three songs, and I end up getting 50, a deal, <laughs> right? Here's what I heard. I heard job security, if you commit to learning this stuff and to be a perpetual student. And then I also heard shop security. Woe is me. Okay, so you may not see this vehicle as often as 2.5 times a year. Maybe you see it once a year. And you got to go out and find yourself a whole bunch of new customers. But based on the projections, the 2030s, the 2035s, and all this stuff that the government wants to get involved in and required EV sales and no ices and all this stuff, you start playing now in the sandbox. You can build a castle in five years. Yes, definitely. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Great advice. Wow. My friend Dave Hobbs, senior tech trainer, Delphi Technologies, and man of perpetual wisdom. Thank you very much, Carm. Appreciate that. Thanks so much for being here, Dave. Perpetual learning, more like it. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.